Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. The show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of DCFS and CPS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. I want to remind my audience here in California and across the country that this November are elections and we want to make sure that we vote and that we vote for not only our senators, our state legislators, but also for judges, uh, the judges that are going to sit in the Los Angeles Superior Court. So we want to make sure that they um, are people that will support the family and support the family staying together in the CPS or the Juvenile Dependency Courts. One of the things that I'm going to talk about today as far as education is something that's near to my heart. Um, I was raised by my grandmother and my grandfather on my father's side. And I got several calls this week um, from people who are grandparents uh, trying to get their children or their grandchildren placed with them. So one of the first things that everyone should know is that the law requires that um, the social worker place children with relatives. And there are a group of relatives that are given preference with respect to placement. The group of relatives that are given preference are the grandparents, adult siblings, aunts and uncles. And I just want to make sure that those people can get children. Uh, You know, a lot of times in a lot of the calls this week, I was being told that, I was being told that uh, social workers wouldn't allow them to have the children for a variety of reasons. One reason was because uh, the social worker said the grandparent lived out of state. Well, the fact of the matter is that doesn't matter or shouldn't matter. There is something called the interstate compact, interstate compact um, for the placement of children. And this applies to placing children outside of the state of California. Interestingly enough, if you read that compact closely, um, it doesn't apply in every situation. But generally what judges do is if you're a relative that lives out of state um, and wants the child placed with you, that state social worker has to do an investigation. And in one of the calls uh, this week, the social worker uh, allegedly um, delayed that process and delayed it and delayed it and delayed it enough such that when it came time for the proceeding to continue in the juvenile dependency court, uh, the court ruled that the child had been in the foster home 
and had formed a bond with the child and the child with the foster parent such that it would be detrimental to remove the child from the foster parents and place the child with the grandmother who was out of state. In that particular case, not only did the social worker allegedly delay the interstate compact from taking place, once it was completed, the social worker apparently did not or allegedly did not turn the interstate compact report in to the judge to know that the grandmother had been approved for placement in her home state which in this particular case, I believe, was Nevada. So um, the grandparent uh, does not have the child, and they're moving towards um, what's called a 366.26 hearing, where they're going to try to terminate the parent's rights and therefore terminate the grandparent's rights, and the child would be adopted by the foster home and lost to the family. Uh, there was another case that I got a call from that was uh, kind of the reverse. It was a case in the state of case in the state of Washington, where the grandmother was here in Orange County, and uh, the mother and the father in Washington had lost the child to foster care, and the social worker apparently was doing everything. Uh, to try not to place the child in Orange County. And interestingly enough, I, I asked the uh, grandmother, I said, well, who, re who referred you to me? And the grandmother told me, well, she told me not to tell you, but it was the social worker in Orange County who referred her to me um, because she saw that the situation for the grandmother here in California was getting, uh, you know, a little desperate. And then I had another call um, this week from a grandparent and in that situation, uh, the social worker was trying to keep the children, the grandchildren away from the grandmother because the social worker alleged that that grandmother was not fit to um, raise the children who were in foster care. The interest, interesting thing about that was that the grandmother still had children in her home, minor children in her home, where she was a mother uh, trying to, you know, get children placed uh, well, not she was a mother who had her own children and who was raising them. She didn't have a juvenile or a CPS case, but apparently she was good enough to raise her own children, but not her grandchildren. So you get these kind of bizarre, um, you know, situations where, for whatever reason, um, you know, CPS and DCFS social workers don't want to place children with. Uh, grandparents or with other relatives. This happens not only with grandparents, it happens with adult siblings, it happens with aunts and uncles, cousins. Um, I recently had a case where the adult sibling who used to be a foster child herself turned 18 and then turned 19 and she was out of the system. And she came to me because she wanted help in getting her siblings placed with her. And one of the excuses uh, that the social worker used for not placing the child with her was that she was too young. Uh, by the way, the law says you just have to be 18 years of age or older. Um, just saying somebody is too young without any other types, type of analysis or investigation um, kind of smacks me of some type of reverse age discrimination. Anyway, um, so 
the first thing that relatives have to know is uh, Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 309. 309 says that um, the social workers must investigate and uh, place the children with relatives. And there is an investigation that must take place within 30 days. I was a little surprised about that because I hadn't looked at Section 309 in a while. And it was always my impression that uh, the investigation and placement of children with relatives was supposed to happen right up front, right at the beginning. Um, so there is a form that relatives should be aware of. It's called a JV285 form. You can Google it, pull it up. It's a two-page form, I believe, and you can fill it out. It's very self-explanatory. It was written for a person who doesn't have a lawyer to fill out. Uh, you fill in blanks, you check the names, and you file it and serve it. Now, the interesting thing is um, here at my firm, we, do, we represent a lot of people all over the state of California, and I, I don't recall if there has ever been a case where um, the court has acted or set a hearing with respect to a JV 285 form. It's almost as if sometimes I get the feeling that those forms are ignored. So I also recommend that relatives uh, file what's called a de facto motion. And a lot of people will tell you, if you didn't take care of the child um, recently, that uh, you can't file a de facto motion. Um, and that's not true. Um, first of all, anybody can file a de facto motion. So there is no prohibition for anyone filing a de facto motion. The questions become, if you file the motion, are you going to win? And there is some confusion in the law, and I hear a lot of people um, being given advice by some attorneys that is not accurate. So number one, first off, you do not have to be given, have to have been a full-time caretaker of the child while the case was pending. You could have cared for this child before this case started and be considered a de facto parent. Of course, you could be a de facto parent if you were taking care of the child while the case was pending. But there is another, and I call it a special carved-out niche for relatives who never took care of the child. And there's a case in California called In Ray Charles F. You can Google that. And In Ray Charles F. basically says, hey, look, if you're a relative, and I think it was a blood relative, but if you're a relative and you come to court and you so show some interest in the case, you should be given some type of standing so that the judge can listen to the information that you have to, to give. In many cases um, I've been involved with were relatives uh, who wanted to be part of the case or didn't want to be part of the case, they had significant information to give the court with respect to the child and the family, but no one ever listened to them or no one even asked them because they didn't have standing in the case. Another type of, I guess, motion that should be filed by the relative seeking placement is a 388 petition. And a 388 petition, you can Google that as well. There are state forms, um, judicial forms that are used for part of that. Um, request, that you, request that you ask the judge to give you something 
um, as it relates to the child. So a lot of 388s for relatives that say, judge, you know, it would be in the best interest of the child if the child were placed with me, and these are the reasons why. Now, one of the things that relatives do, um, they file these 388 petitions by themselves. And uh, that might be a mistake in a lot of cases because when we file, the, I think the 388 petition actually by itself is maybe four pages, maybe five pages of a form. And when we file 388s, we generally add um, to the form uh, what's called legal points and authorities, what's called declarations by different uh, witnesses and people. And we also add um, pictures, maybe there might be some video evidence, uh, you know, some type of demonstrative evidence that allows the people to have, um, allows the judge to get a better feeling. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words. So it's one thing to tell the judge you are with the child uh, and the child knows you and that type of thing. And it's another thing if you if you show the judge with pictures or with uh, video. The other thing that um, the relative should contemplate is, um, and a lot of people find this controversial, a, a lot of judge finds, judges find this controversial, is I think that the relative should also file a request so that the records of the case and the minute orders are disclosed to you. You know, it's very difficult sometimes if you are a relative and you're trying to have a hearing in court and they're using reports and evidence against you that you've never seen. And the reason why you've never seen them is because the case is confidential and you don't have access to them. I remember doing a case one time in San Diego. Um, it was um, quite unusual. Um, I was trying to prove that a child should be placed with some relatives, or actually a group of relatives, and uh, they kept using evidence against me uh, that were in reports, and most of that evidence we believed wasn't true. Uh, but I wasn't given copies of those reports. Very difficult to defend someone without copies of the evidence. It's almost unconstitutional. Um, but you should make a, a request, file a petition to give you access to those records. Because inevitably, if the social worker doesn't want to place the child with you, they're going to use evidence and reports that you, you and your attorney are not going to be able to see. Um, the next thing that the relative should uh, contemplate is filing a petition for temporary legal guardianship and filing a petition for permanent guardianship. Now, these are very provocative moves, um, and a lot of attorneys and a lot of judges don't agree with this particular strategy. Um, and those are probate forms in California. I believe, in my heart of hearts, that you can file a petition for guardianship in the juvenile dependency case. Now, whether the judge grants that petition or actually gives you a hearing on that petition, that's a whole nother story. The final thing that I think that all families should do where they have children in a uh, foster placement and relatives are trying to get the children out of the foster placement is I think they should provide a list 
of relatives um, for the social worker to investigate. So what I generally do is I ask my uh, clients to provide a list of 25 names, and that's names, address, telephone numbers, emails if they have it, of people who could take care of the children. Now, those people can live anywhere in the world. Let me repeat that. Those people can live anywhere in the world. So if the case is in Los Angeles County, those relatives do not have to live in Los Angeles County. They can live in Orange County. They can live in San Francisco County. They can live in Las Vegas. They can live in Oklahoma. They can live in Florida. They can live in New York. They can live in Maine because their relatives, the geographic uh, distance from the courthouse doesn't count, and in my opinion, under the law, shouldn't count. Now, that gives you a distinct advantage uh, when you provide 25 names. You see, it's always been my theory that the money, uh, the federal money, follows the child. And so if the child is placed in Arizona, uh, Arizona gets money, not California. So sometimes uh, what I have seen is that one relative who the social worker didn't approve and all of a sudden you have 25 new relatives for them to investigate, all of a sudden that grandma down the street and around the corner is okay to place the child with um, because they're faced with the child being uh, placed out of state or out of county. You see, the jurisdiction of the social worker ends at the county line. A lot of people don't realize that, but social workers have no authority to go to another county or another state I do see it happen, and I do see sometimes courts order that an L.A. County social worker go to uh, Portland, Oregon, or wherever, to uh, check out uh, a placement or to check out to see how the child is doing. Um, in my mind, that is probably not correct um, because social workers don't have uh, jurisdiction uh, in those counties um, or in those states. As a matter of fact, there's a whole procedure the child to be uh, checked out and supervised by the social worker in that foreign jurisdiction. So if it was an L.A. child placed in San Francisco, San Francisco County social workers have to take care of it. Or if it's an uh, L.A. County child placed in Florida, uh, there are Florida social workers who take care of that child and supervise that child and report back to the social worker in L.A. and report back to the judge in Los Angeles. So those are my thoughts. And sometimes I get 25 names from the mother. I get 25 names. You know, if there's a father on the case, I, I, you know, um, my clients will tell their spouse or the father of the child, hey, do the same thing and give that list to your attorney in court. Um, and sometimes there's more than, um, you know, one father on a case. And then sometimes there are relatives who know other relatives that my client didn't know. So, you know, on one case, I remember giving um, 25, case, 25 names. It was either 25 or 50 names to uh, the social worker. And the county council uh, brought it up uh, uh, before the court. And I think this was in Riverside County. And the judge on the record um, accused me of harassing the social worker because that judge knew all of the work the social worker had to do to um, 
to check out each of the relatives that we gave them under the law. And I was a little disturbed that the judge would say that, um, that I was harassing the social worker because uh, we were just trying to get the children out of foster care, placed with a relative, and we had all of the names, um, you know, and all of the relatives. Interestingly enough, on that case, the social workers had already um, denied placement, like I think our first two or three relatives on that list, but they were one, two, and three. And then when they came back, they suddenly decided to place the child with relative number two, which was okay with us, but she had already been denied placement. But when we gave them a list of 25 names, apparently they didn't want to have to check out all 25 names. Um, apparently it takes a lot of work to check out a relative. And um, someone that they had already checked out, they claimed, took some corrective actions with their home, the physicality or the physical arrangements of their home, and indicated that the child could be placed there. So that's a strategy that I use. Um, you know, I like, as I said earlier, I was raised by grandmother and grandfather, so I, I like to get these children or see my client's children uh, get out of foster care and get into a relative home. Sometimes I liken it to a criminal case where, you know, you're in custody and you haven't made bail and you're trying to help your lawyer defend your case. Much easier to defend your case if you're out on bail and the leverage in that criminal case changes because you're out of jail and um, they don't have anything to hold over you. In my mind, the same thing is with uh, these foster children. When the child is in foster care and not with a relative, um, the social worker has uh, leverage over you. So think about that and think about getting children placed in a foster, excuse me, with relatives as soon as possible. Do not wait. Um, we have a few calls in the queue. I'm going to take the first call from area code 562 ending in 17. Good morning, you're on with the Good morning, Vincent. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Good morning, Vincent. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I've moved to a little bit better. Is this better? Okay. Yeah, I'm moving to a better position. Okay. Did you have a story How's to tell it? or a question to ask? Um, I have a story to share. Um, what I'd like to share to all the viewers is First of all, the most important thing when you get yourself in a situation is always have a lawyer. And sometimes that's not the best way to do it at the time because in my case, I was an economic disaster. And uh, um, I had lost my family almost three years ago. And uh, through the course of it, um, I you know, had finally got an attorney. And we we're trying to get our family back together. Um, the hardest thing is, is that... It seems lately they just want to keep dragging it out and dragging it out. Um, it's never been really uh, what I believed in the system isn't what really turns out to be from first-hand experience. Um, what happens is that when it all came down to me and it came over, the first mistake I did is I didn't ask for a search warrant and I didn't ask to speak to an attorney. I just thought, okay, these people are really great. It was really horrendous because uh, I had a, had a beautiful family 
and we were together. The only trouble was is that we had run out of money and we were living in a home that we couldn't pay our mortgage. And uh, in a neighborhood that requires you to have landscapers and, you know, freshly paint your house all the time, and I just didn't have the, the funds for that. And on top of that, I had my family. My father died and my mother then she died too. It's that I had overwhelming with all their belongings in my house and stuff. And so we had a situation where the house was just too cluttered. And so I thought by being straightforward with these individuals, because there was code enforcement, there was the police department, there was social services, the kids were ripped from the school, they didn't know what was going on. And all these allegations were happening. And at first I, I tried to work with them. And when I saw mistakes, I, was up front with them and tell them this is not right, you're not doing this right. I'd point out things they don't like to be told. Social service wants you to be just a follower and follow everything to the letter. The problem was is that we didn't have any drug issues. We had no sexual issues. We, had, we just had a cluttered home. And, um, and, uh, and the kids were doing well in school and, and so forth. And it's been a, a three years of a roller coaster ride, but lately it just seems like we're stagnated. It's like we got two of the children back of the three, and uh, what's happened is now they got this plan that they want to continue this thing on to September, which is, you know, this has gotten kind of the waste. My youngest son, who's 12 now, is nine at the time, is constantly um, upset now. His whole behavior has changed. Uh, he's no longer the happy kid he was. They're conditioning him. Uh, these group homes, these foster care homes, unfortunately, I didn't run into the good ones. I ran ones where they instruct the kids, never show emotions to the parents, never show feelings. And there's been no encouragement from anybody. That's the sad part. From any individual that I've run across, there's been no encouragement about getting the family back together. The relatives that we thought we could rely on all fell through, just started taking sides. We tried to place one child in with the aunt. The aunt got in a fight with the her husband got domestic violence, child's taken out, and then of course late in social service decided to fill her full of drugs, and one, one drug is, uh, is is so, so, so bad, it's habit forming, it uh, causes her to have nightmares, all kinds of, dis all the disadvantages, so she's being struggling out with drugs in the foster care, and we're trying to get her back, but she's been convinced that she doesn't want to go home to mom and dad, so it's kind of like we're at a kind of a standstill, we don't know they can find some problems with the foster care people or not, but that's it. But uh, this plan has really got to a point where this uh, this plan was uh, shuffled through under our noses, and and we, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. No input from anybody is just the social worker orchestrate. And what I found out is that the system is bad. And yes, I'm going to be suing social services, and uh, they've, they've really done wrong. They've violated my civil rights. My wife and I, you know, it's like the hardest thing for us to stay together is married. It's been social services. Instead of keeping a family together or helping a family, they've done nothing more than break up my family. They've done nothing more to uh, financially rip me further apart. And so it's been, it's been a hard way to go. So I'm telling all the viewers out there, the key to, to I believe, is to have a good attorney that uh, will understand and fight for your case. There's a lot of attorneys out there that some are kind of wishy-washy, some are on egos, and some, I mean, I've, I've run through the attorney gamut too, 
and um, and a lot of them are busy and overworked. But I think the key to it is to have a good attorney, and um, then also um, uh, have a game plan and follow the game plan and listen to your attorney and, and follow them. Um, um, I don't know what the future really holds in my case because it's at a standstill. You know, it's it's like it's the most ridiculous uh, thing. My poor wife is just you know she's lost. She's lost the faith in the whole system and stuff and our relationship since we're living apart, which we don't want to, we get every chance we can to be together, but the way the system is set up and uh, the way they take advantage, uh, social services has a bad habit of sliding things under your nose and uh, they get away with it. They, um, it's corrupt from the top down. I've dealt with the director, I've dealt with Miss various supervisors and they always say we'll help you we'll help you or they have a misconception the hardest thing is once you're in the system the stories get exaggerated as it goes on year after year suddenly the things that you were charged with are no longer the center of attention it's all these other things that were never uh, proven to be right in the first case so suddenly you know we've been talking to our kids me back they said well we thought you this was this and that says no that never happened and it's just I know our daughter, and that's the one thing that we're trying to get back, that she's been so misled, and she is so dependent, and now she's on drugs. So these, I guess, orchestrate her, what she says or not to say. But um, I just wanted to assure the audience uh, that um, Vincent Davis is one of those good attorneys out there, and uh, if you're really looking for an attorney, contact his office. Uh, he'll go the extra mile. As you can know, he's on the radio show. He, you know, he has a life of his own, but he... He really is uh, there to help you. So um, God bless you, Vincent, and, and thank you. Um, can I ask you a couple questions? Yes, please. You mentioned that uh, you have two of your three children back. How is that possible? I mean, it seems to me that if you can well, have two of your children in your how could you not have the third one? Well, here's what it is. Is that... Uh, my oldest, who was 15 at the time, taken in the system, who's now 18, um, said the social worker would take a hike. And he turned 18. He says, I'm done with you guys. You guys are the bad scene. I don't want you guys anymore. And it kind of shocks social services. But that's why he's back, because he has no gripes with his mom or dad. I mean, his dad and mom are, got him through high school, and, and uh, you know, he's going to be going to college. But uh, he's back. The little guy. He says, well, gee, I'm, you know, I'm the only little guy. No one listens to me. Nothing that happened. Like all this stuff is what happened with, with him. He finally wise up and told the social worker the uh, take a hike. Of course, mom had to promise to do things like mom's promised on two different occasions. A year ago, she promised to do a 14 step procedure. She followed it to the letter and they never give back our son. And then um, they had us go through the same thing. Now they got her doing rehashing the conjoint therapy but she's already been through it a dozen times, rehashing old wounds, digging up things. And my son is tired with it. He finally got up and said, the social worker, I'm done with you. And, of course, he's 12 now. I guess when you're 12, you can say something. So uh, the social worker gave, gave up because the social worker always was trying to dig up stuff. She'd take something and go stretch them out. But the third child, the third child never had the opportunity. She's never once ever seen her dad since May 2nd, 2015. She's had no contact with him whatsoever, and I'm not allowed to because this is one thing. They put ideas into her head, and, and, and then she gets off the wrong tangent, and she's the one that had the biggest problem with the whole family. 
she had bullying and they ignored the bullying. They now say, oh, it's dad. Dad caused everything. Dad was making you go to school. Dad was getting you up to go to school. You don't have to go to school. It's like, I just couldn't believe this. It was like, uh, the thing is, and then when you put her on drugs, she's been on drugs. We've fought it two or three times. They don't listen to you. They don't do the volleyball um, practice that she's supposed to get instead of the drugs. They put on these drugs, and when you hear the, the side effects of these drugs, it inhibits growth. It, it causes um, um, biological problems with having children. I mean, there's going to be ramifications down that my daughter, who's now uh, 15, going to be 16 this, this, um, this July, is, is going to be faced with the fact that she's going to have a really rough time. Why? Because social services. Social services, for some strange reason, likes to destroy good families. They can't believe that a family can be good and loving. They can't believe the kids can tell the truth. They just, they want to instill other things. So the answer to your question, why we have two back, one back, the, the two are back because they fired the social worker, basically. And because you, you, the attorney, you knew the right things to say and do, and then it takes an attorney. And then the third child would be back with us if she had a chance to meet with her father once, meet with her mother. I mean, she hasn't seen her mother for over a year. And it's wrong. This is, this is, this is the whole thing. What do you expect? You can, you can brainwash people and... I guess they'll eventually, eventually come back some, some, some day. But does that answer your question, Vincent? It does. And thank you very much for calling. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Vincent. Okay. Um, let me take another call. The area code is 424, ending in 50. Good morning, Hi. you're on with Attorney Davis. Did you have a question to ask or a story to tell? I have a question to ask. I actually was giving your book by my parenting teacher, Natalie. Um, she talks so highly about you. And um, I saw your, uh, sh your show popped up in my email today, and I wanted to ask you. So um, my husband is an active duty military member. And he um, recently won a retainment board. So, you know, he um, there was speculation that he was going to get kicked out of the military, but he, he's not getting kicked out. He's staying in. He won his board. And um, so my question is, he has an issue with um, the social worker because he bonds with his child by, you know, watching movies or um, eating snacks because my, my daughter loves eating. She's two years old. She loves eating. And... Um, Recently, they terminated one of his visits because he was watching her favorite movie with her, Trolls. And my question is, are are they allowed to do that? Because so we went to our six-month review, and he was way ahead of me in the process. He had finished his um, domestic violence classes. He had finished his parenting classes. He had done everything that the social worker required him to do. While I am still, um, I still have six classes left to do with my domestic violence class. And um, they gave me unsupervised visits, but they tried to terminate his visits, although He's doing everything he's told. He's done all his classes. Her only problem with him is that he watches movies with my daughter. That's all, all the negative stuff that she's able to say about him is that she watches, he watches movies. And um, she doesn't allow him to give her food. And my daughter cries during his visit saying she's hungry, she wants food, and he's not allowed to give her food. So he has to look her in the eye and say, hey, I can't give you food, mama, because I'm not allowed to. So my question is, is, is this okay or is this discrimination? What can he do? Because we have trial next month. What can he do to 
to defend himself during trial. Okay, that's a very good question. And it's your six-month review? No, we, we did the six-month review already, and now we're going to trial because he set it for trial. Okay, so he's contesting the six-month review? Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Let me ask you a couple background questions. Is the child placed with uh, relatives or foster care? She's in foster care. Is there a reason why the child's not with a relative or family friend? So the reason why she's not with a relative, at first they had us on a, a family uh, maintenance when my mom was here, but then my mom had to leave to go back to Florida because my dad was getting surgery, so she had to go take care of him. So they took her out and they took her back to foster care. And um, they did uh, the, the family background thing, but the person that got approved was his grandfather and his grandfather recently passed away. So she's in foster care because by the time he was approved, he had passed away. Now, at the beginning of this show, I talked about making a list of 25 relatives and family friends. If I didn't say that, I want to make that clear because your list of relatives can include people who aren't relatives but who are family friends. Um, can you come up with okay. a list of 25 people where the child could be placed? Uh, I could come up with a list of at least 10 people. <laughs> Well, if you think about it another hour, I bet you could come up with 25. Okay. I mean, I'm sure you have friends and relatives all over the country, but not the world. We do. I mean, we were right? both uh, we were both active duty. I just I recently um, got out of the military, um, so I'm in California with no family around. But I have family all over the world, even Puerto Rico. So I have plenty of people. <laughs> Well, you know, as you know, uh, and as some social workers don't know, because I did a case with relatives in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is part of the United States, right? Mm -hmm. It's not some third world country. Yes. It's part of the United States. But anyway, um, so I would suggest, first of all, that you come up with 25 and your husband come up with a different 25 because he has relatives on his side of the family. You have relatives on your side of the family. Um, mm -hmm. At the six-month review, did they did they recommend in their report another six months of reunification services for you and or the father? They um so at first she was trying to recommend termination of services for both I and the father. Then she changed her recommendation to um, me getting six months, um, another six months of reuni reunification services, but terminating the father. But then she changed it again to saying she wants the father to do co-parenting classes with me, but still terminate his rights. Well, that sounds a little crazy, that third one. Either his rights are terminated. Yeah. Or, excuse me. Either his, his reunification services are terminated or they're not terminated. Um, where is your case? What county? It's in Riverside County. Okay, so Riverside has a two or three juvenile courts. County Farm Road, Marietta, and then over there in Indio by Palm Springs. Which one are you in? Marietta. Okay. Um, do you know who your judge is? There's two judges in that courthouse that do juvenile dependency. I 
Wait, um, let me look at the paperwork. I'm not sure what his name was. Um, okay, it's a, it's a man because the other one's a woman. Yeah, it's a, it's a guy. And so you're probably on the first floor of that building. Yes, they they uh, recently uh, changed rearranged the um, the courts, and now it's the second floor. Okay. So this is what he should do. You have a pen and a piece of paper because I'm going to give you step by step what he should do. Yes. One second. Let me find the pen real quick. Okay, I'm ready. In number one, he should request a meeting with his attorney. Okay. Not in the hallway, at the attorney's office. Okay. He should bring with him all of his certificates and his progress letters for everything that he has done. Okay. All right. He should um, insist that the counselors and therapists that where he's been attending be subpoenaed to court with all of their notes and records about him, so that they can get on, okay. on the stand test, and testify. All right. Okay. You'll want to send out those subpoenas quickly so that the people will have enough time to tell you whether you can't, whether they can be there or not on that court day. Okay. The next thing he should request of his attorney is that his attorney write a trial brief as to why he should not only get more family reunification services, get more liberalized visits, get more visits per week, or perhaps even have overnights, or, heaven forbid, the child be returned to him. Then the trial brief should include should include a a, a an argument um, that the child should be placed with relatives immediately. And for those out of state or out of the country, that interstate compacts be ordered by the judge, that they be expedited interstate compacts, and that they be ordered, you know, right now. Because okay. what's going to happen if you don't get these children back, the children are going to be adopted by foster parents, and you're going to lose those children outside the family. What you need to do is get a friendly relative or family friend or family friend to take the child or the children and keep them until you can get them back. Okay. All right? So he should do yeah. all of those things. He should make sure that they all happen, and he should show up and be ready to go to trial with his attorney, and his attorney should be ready to go to trial. All right. In my opinion, in, in my opinion, it's unlikely that the judge would order you to have more family reunification services and the father not have them 
especially where in a situation where the father has performed more family reunification services than you. Yeah, and that was my question too. I mean, and again, I wasn't mad that I, because I got unsupervised visits now twice a week for three hours, um, but they kept him with his uh, with his supervised visits only twice a week for one hour, and that was my question because I was like, he's completed more than me, and why why should he not have more? Because to me, him having at least the same or more than me is a step closer to her coming back. And at the same time, the social worker threatens me saying, if I talk to my husband, if I see my husband, then I will never see my daughter again. So that has me in the point where, one, I don't have a job, so I have to depend on my husband to help me pay the bills and pay the rent and all that stuff. And then she tells him he's not allowed to come home. So it's kind of like, what do we do? Because now I'm afraid if I talk to him or if I see him, I'm never going to see my child again. But then I have to go to talk through to his friends so his friends could talk to him so that he can help me pay bills and all that stuff. So it's kind of, it's really difficult for us. Well, let me ask you something. Are you telling me, well, first of all, is there a restraining order that keeps the father away from you or vice versa? No, so at first when 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 we were both here, we had a military protective order which kept him out of the house and kept me out of um away from him. But once I got out of the military, I requested for it to be um removed. It was removed, but for some reason, um the social worker called his command and requested a new one to be placed, which is unlawful because she would have to have there had to have been an incident that happened for a new one to be requested. And the only person who's allowed to request an MPO would have been myself. So again, I talked to his command again, and I said, hey, I never requested this MPO to be in place. I don't want him to be restrained from coming home. So I want it to be removed. And again, it was removed. And I told them, you know, if I don't request the MPO, I don't want one to be placed. So I showed that um, the resentment of the um, MPO to my uh, social worker, and she told me in front of uh, my advocate, because my uh, attorney appointed me a court advocate, in front of my advocate, she told me, uh, whether you have the NPO or not, you're not allowed to talk to your husband, you're not allowed to see him, because if you do, I'm not going to give you your child back, which is uh, one of the uh, statements that my advocate mentioned during court. And the judge actually told us during our six-month trial, he said, why have you guys not been in marriage counseling? And we were like, well, we are not allowed to talk because the social worker is not allowing us to talk. And the judge said, well, if you guys don't attend marriage counseling, I can't give your daughter back because the issue has never been the way you parent your child. The issue has been your marriage and the domestic violence that happened between you guys. Are you guys in marriage counseling right now? No, we're not. We're actually trying to, well, I'm trying to request to um, start marriage counseling through one of my counselors. She has um, other other people that can do it but it's um i don't i can't talk to my husband how am i supposed to you know what i mean like that's my the biggest difficulty for me is if i can't talk to him how am i going to get into marriage counseling with him so i want you to tell me the answer to this question it's either yes no or i don't know has the judge in the juvenile court or any judge issued an order where you and your husband can't talk to each other no. Okay. Then whatever the social worker is telling you is invalid. 
and she's opening herself up to a big fat lawsuit. If the judge okay. told you you and your husband if the judge told you you and your husband need to be in marriage counseling, you and your husband better be in marriage counseling like yesterday. Okay. Do you understand that? Yes. Okay. Now, you might have a basis also, you or your husband, to have this social worker removed from the case. Because okay. she's telling you things that, in my opinion, are wrong and illegal. See, the purpose of the Juvenile Dependency Court and the laws in the state of California is to reunify the family. And sometimes I hear stories like social workers will tell somebody, hey, you got to divorce your wife or you got to divorce your husband. That's not the law. Yeah, and that's one of the things that my social worker told me. Did she put that in writing? Email, text? She did not put it in writing. She said it to me during a visit, which I recorded her, and she said that I have to divorce my husband. And I told her that's against my religion, for one. Um, We don't believe in divorce in my religion, so I can't do that. And uh, she said, well, if you're not divorcing him, I'm going to assume that you're going to be with him. And if you're with him, I can't give you your child back. And she um, she uh, referred me to move into a homeless shelter because I'm currently living in an apartment, which is on, like, my husband's name is on the lease. So technically his, it's his apartment and he pays the rent. And I can't get an apartment by myself because I have horrible credit. But she said that she wanted me to move into a homeless shelter. And I told her, if I move into a homeless shelter, how am I going to get my child back? Because I'm going to be living in a homeless shelter. She said, oh, well, um, we'll help you get Section 8. And I said, I can't. I don't qualify for Section 8 because my husband is an active duty military member. And she said, well, you need to divorce him so that you can qualify for Section 8. So that was one of the biggest fights that I had with her. You know, um, have you talked to your attorney about this? I have, and um, she's been fighting against the um, the social worker the whole time. The only thing is my husband's attorney kind of just says, oh, just go with the flow, just do whatever they say, and it's kind of like you're not sticking up for us. So we're actually in the process, well, I'm in the process of trying to see if I can uh, find a better attorney to represent him and, well, now that, you know, you assured me, you know, I can talk to him since the judge did not say we cannot talk, I'm going to call him and see if we can start working to find him a better attorney to represent him because his attorney right now is just, he just says go with the flow, just do whatever they tell you to do, and he's not fighting for our rights. Is your husband's attorney a court-appointed attorney? Yes. Um, do you have a court-appointed attorney? Yes. Okay. Um, did you know that we represent people in that courthouse on a private basis? I did. Actually, my parenting teacher, Natalie, she talked to me about you. She gave me your book and your DVD, and she told me um, you guys represent us. That's why when I saw your um, your radio show, I was like, okay, let me call, let me ask questions and see if – you know, maybe I can talk to him privately and get him to represent either me or Robert. Okay, so what I would like you to do is I would like you to contact us off the air. Uh, you can call my okay. office today after 930. They'll make an appointment for you either 
in person, on the phone, Skype, Zoom, whatever type of meeting you want. And I'd like to talk to you. And also, um, I mean, I wouldn't mention this to the social worker or to the judge, but the social worker, I believe, has opened herself up to some type of lawsuit. You know, she may be violating your civil rights, and I'd like to talk to you, excuse me, more about that. And well, is it the same number to reach you at? No, let me give you, do you have a pen? I'll give you the number to call. Yes. Okay, it's triple eight triple eight six five eight two. That's eight 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 six five eight two. All right, thank you very much. Thank you for your time and I will give you a call today. Thank you very much, ma'am. All right, bye. Okay, that was an interesting call. I think that we have a few more minutes in the show. I don't have enough time to take another call, but there are a couple of subjects that I want to talk about. Um, and as I talked to these two guests today, uh, they came to my mind, and I, I wrote some, in, uh, some notes about it. Um, I get a lot of calls from people where a social worker hasn't taken the child yet, and a case hasn't been started in the juvenile court or the CPS court. It's about to start, but they're in the process of doing the investigation. And uh, a few years ago, I wrote a blog about this, what you should do uh, when the social worker comes knocking at your door. So I want to talk a little bit about that before we uh, sign off today. Um, Last night, I got a call from a man was a father, and uh, he had me on speakerphone because his wife was listening in on the call. And what happened was um, somebody reported them for child abuse, and the child is 14 years old. The social worker did not uh, get the chance to talk to the Uh, parents, but left her card in the door with a note, I guess, on the back of the card for them to call the social worker. And they asked me a question, should we call the social worker? And I said, no. It's my general rule, not always, but my general rule that should not talk to social workers. And I gave an example. I said, have you been watching CNN lately? The guy said, yeah, I watch it all the time. I said, what is Donald Trump doing right now? He says, you know, he's lawyering up. I said, right now Donald Trump is hiring the best legal talent in the United States. He's lawyering up. And I said, I said to the guy, I said, what does that tell you? He says, I got a lawyer up. I said, yes, you do. Um, The mother was of of a different opinion, and she's entitled to have her opinion. She wants to call the social worker to talk about this because the mother said she has nothing to hide, and, um, you know, she's the mother sure 
that this case would go away. And as I told them and as I want to tell you, that's possible. I don't think it's probable, but it's possible. What people don't realize is that social workers are highly trained governmental agents. It's their job and their business to get involved with the lives of families and sometimes take children away and to give services to those families because that's how that governmental agency makes money from the federal and the state government, period. That's their business. Just like the business of In-N-Out hamburgers or McDonald's hamburgers is to sell you hamburgers. It's their business. So I don't know what's going to happen in that case. I advise the father that he should talk to uh, any social worker or any police authority. Um, we were speculating, based upon what the story they told me, that uh, they might be coming because of some action or inaction the father had done or not done. And so there's no reason for him to talk to anyone. I mean, some of these cases and these investigations result in criminal filings, result in criminal arrests. So it's best that you don't talk to social workers or police officers. Now, there are a lot of people, attorneys, judges, who disagree with me. I was even accused in the Chambers Conference um, by a judge of that was just playing legal games. And I told the judge that I was there to protect my client uh, and try to get him his children back and to make sure he didn't go to jail. That was my job. I mean, everybody mm -hmm. else has their own view of the system and what their role is in the system. That's my job. I'm going to advise you that if you come up against a social worker where they want to investigate something, that you probably, even if you don't have anything to hide, you probably should get a lawyer and have the lawyer talk and meet with the social worker. Can things you tell the social worker be used against you later in court? Absolutely. Do social workers sometimes make mistakes in their reporting to uh, the juvenile court or to you know, the police? Yes. Have they ever exaggerated? Yes. I've been involved in a case or cases where they've actually been untruthful. I'm not saying that all social workers are bad, but you want to protect yourself and protect your family. So please, you know, don't talk to social workers. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being worse, talking to the social worker, in my opinion, is a 10. Not talking to the social worker is a 5. What do you want, the 5 or the 10? Last night the woman told me she wanted it a 0. I said, I can't do that. I don't wave a magic wand. Anyway, I want to thank everyone for listening this week, and we'll see you next week on the radio. Oh.